The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. This morning, um, I'm going to start out by, by reading a poem called uh, The Dakini Speaks. Now, it's useful that you're familiar with the term Dakini before I read this poem. So, Dakini is a Sanskrit word meaning sky dancer. And Dakinis are uh, more common in Tibetan Buddhism. They talk about the Dakinis. And they, they uh, are female messengers of wisdom. And they, the qualities of a Dakini, Dakini are uh, qualities of energy and the changeability. Dakini, the Dakini is very changeable, not to say erratic, but not to be pinned down in any particular place. Wise dancing is, is a, a quality often associated with a Dakini. And the energy of spaciousness, sky dancer. Okay, so this is an image that's useful to keep in mind. So here's the poem. This poem is by Jennifer Wellwood. The Dakini speaks. My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully, like ripe human beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed, as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth, she strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We are not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. Let me read it again. My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully, like ripe human beings, but please Let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us. And she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild. And her compassion exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth, she strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We are not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. Okay. So, why... Am I reading you this poem? <laughs> and why do I think it has a message? It has to do with the unsettledness of the current life, the unsatisfactoriness of how things are going, that things are just not going the way I want them to go. This is the truth. Things, things that I think ought to be a certain way aren't that way. And in the face of that, how do I wake up every morning and not be depressed? <laughs> 
How do I make my way through life? Where do I get the energy for moving forward, for continuing, for going on? It seems that one of the points addressed in the poem is that we as humans have a lot of expectations. If I do this, this is what's going to happen. As if we know what's going to happen. And what we're faced with is the incomplete and sometimes total loss of our hopes and expectations. Talk to the people who've been fighting the flood in Houston, in Florida. That wasn't supposed to happen. How is that happening? How do we respond when the inevitable happens? That is when loss arises, when things are not the way we think they ought to be. How do we respond? What do we do? So I'm not going to tell you not to have expectations. You know, when I, when I was young, when I was very young, actually, I uh, went through a period of, of uh, cynicism. Let's call it cynicism rather than depression. It was just, okay, I get it. The only way not to be disappointed is to not have expectations. This was actually quite wise, but as a child... It was pretty negative. It was, don't expect anything good to happen, and you can never be disappointed. And part of me has never quite let go of that. But I see it in a slightly different way now, which is that there is a difference between hope and expectations. There is a difference between intention and goals. There's a difference between expecting something to happen because I'm controlling it, And being able to create a vision and an intention for how I want to be in the world. These are different. So, on the face of it, everything that can be lost will be lost. Uh, Seems a little negative. It seems a little sad. Why not try to keep and maintain what gives us joy? Why not? Why not hold on to that? Because we can't. We can't hold on to it. We can't prevent things that are displeasing to us. And we can't hold on to things that are pleasing to us. And yet, that's what we try to do. All of us, me, I do this. So we're plagued by disappointment. What was new and exciting is no longer new and exciting. We've all experienced this. Anybody who's ever fallen in love knows the ups and downs of falling in love. But closer to what's actually animating these, me these days has to do with political upheavals, threat of, threat of nuclear war, ecological disasters, overall loss of life and safety for so many beings. You know, uh, I've been an anti-nuclear person for a long time. And that's saying a lot about somebody who used to be a radio chemist, okay? (laughs) But I applied my radio chemistry to nuclear medicine, where it had a really valuable effect. Nuclear weapons, not so much. And yet... And I thought we had kind of got to the place where there was uh, a political maturity and that nuclear weapons were going to be, you know, controlled. Well, I guess not. I guess not. So the question is, what is there in the wisdom of impermanence that will allow me to meet the world with ease, which will allow all of us to meet the world with ease? to motivate and sustain a life that is not suffering, always suffering. How can I view these disappointments without losing heart? How can, how can we do this without giving in to despair? So it seems to me, I'm going to outline three or four steps. Whether it's three steps or four steps has to do with how you see the world, whether things are half full or half empty. So we're not going to worry about that. We're just going to go with four steps. Okay. So the first thing is to see what is really happening. 
to see things as they are, to truly see clearly this is what's happening. There are nuclear weapons. There is a hurricane. There, there are several hurricanes. This is how it is. I can't pretend or wish it away. This is a, an aspect of non-delusion. We're, not, we're, we're just not fighting what's actually true. We don't have to like it. But see, this is how it is. That's number one. The second is the acceptance of that truth. Okay, so <laughs> um, I can say, yeah, yeah, there's a hurricane, but it's not going to hit. <laughs> well, it's not going to do this. Or, well, nobody's really going to use nuclear weapons. Or any of the things where, where we lie to ourselves and don't really accept the, the truth of this is painful, this is suffering, this is something that I have to admit is true. I'm getting older. And I don't have the energy I thought I would always have. Even when I got old, I said I was going to be energetic. Well, guess what? I don't have the energy I used to have. And I have to be able to see that and accept that it's true. I can't pretend that it's not true. Okay, so seeing things as they are, accepting the truth of them. The third is really important. It has to do with non-attachment to things as I want them to be. Non-attachment. It's a freedom from views. This is how things should be. And the fourth one, this is the good news, is arriving at a place of equanimity and balance. Okay, so we're going to step through these four things. Seeing things as they are, acceptance of things as they are, non-attachment to how I think they ought to be or I want them to be, and a place of equanimity and balance. Okay, so delusion. Things can't be this way. They just can't be this way. Surely it's not true. We all go through this. This isn't really true. I don't quite believe it. It's, it's, it's going to change. It's surely. Well, it is going to change, but it may not change the way we want it to. It may get worse. <laughs> worse than what we think it ought to be. It may get better. Some things we can affect and some things we can't. But we have to be able to see them as they are. It's like having a pair of glasses. You know, the... When, when I first got my first pair of glasses at the age of nine, I was shocked that trees had leaves. Now, this was something I knew, but I hadn't actually seen individual leaves on trees when I drew those green, puffy tops of trees on my drawings. That's because that's what I saw. I was shocked at the clarity of seeing leaves on trees when I got my first glasses. Seeing clearly is that. It's taking off the blinders of sort of indiscriminate fuzzy seeing and saying, oh, this, this is what's happening. This is what's true. Oh, actually seeing it. It takes a certain amount of bravery, actually, and courage to see things just as they are. We have this myth that it's easier if I don't look at it too closely. Or only seeing what we want to see. So this, this is what happens with, uh, in codependent relationships. Oh, I can see you're trying. I can see you're trying. I know someone whose daughter has, has been a drug addict for most of her life. And she keeps telling me how it's getting better. And it never gets better because neither one of them actually sees that she is a drug addict. They're looking at something else. They're both of them looking at something they wish was another way. We have we're two ways of doing this when we, we sort of don't look at what we see. One is aversion. I'm not going to look at that part. So uh, every once in a while I become overwhelmed with what a news junkie I have become. And I tell myself, okay, I'm not going to look at 
any news. I did this last, uh, one day last week. I'm not going to look at any news. And it was interesting what happened. For one thing, I was calmer. I said, oh, that's interesting. So looking at the news all the time is very agitating. Ah, okay. Now, whether the agitation is good or bad is up to you know, what I do with it. But being able to just see very clearly, oh, this is what happens when I do this. And really seeing it is useful information for how I react to all of that. Sometimes we, we, uh, it, we, we won't see something. You know, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm just not going to pay. I can't do anything about the hurricanes, so I'm not going to pay attention to that. And I'm going to ignore all the pain that those people have. The, what is it now? Something like six million people in Florida don't have power this morning? Don't have power. Wow. All the things in our lives that are dependent on the availability of electricity. You know, it's not like we've chosen to go out and go camping. They didn't choose to go out and go camping. No power. Can't turn on any lights. Certainly no air conditioning in hot, muggy Florida. That should be pleasant. But even more than that, there are all the people whose homes are sitting in water. Now, I can choose just to be unaffected by that. Or I can think about how that impacts me. And I can open my heart to that. That's a choice that we make. Sometimes not looking is just out of laziness. Just, I can't do it today. I just can't do it today. Okay, today I can't do it. And see that, today I can't do that. Today I can't look at that. But know that that's what's happening. See clearly that that's what's happening. Uh, why is this happening to me? <laughs> why is this happening to me? We, we kind of meet the experience of our lives and we say, oh, this is impacting me in this way. And, and we kind of direct it at us. We sort of say, oh, this is directed at me. It's not directed at me. It's just happening. This is a, this is a great trap that we fall into. And then the shock it's not supposed to be this way. It just can't be this way. And there is shock that comes with that. I have a number of friends who are retired, and I think we're all suffering from PTSD from the news because we're all paying too much attention to it. <laughs> just, there is a shock associated with that. So let's talk about the acceptance phase. Sometimes we say, well, that bad thing, that injustice was true in the past, but it's not true now. Right. (laughs) We get lost in relativism and say, well, it's better now. And we don't see it as it's happening. This was how I, uh, my reaction to to nuclear weapons, I think, fell in this category. Oh, it's, it's better now. It's not better now. It's really... There, there, there have been changes, but that doesn't change the fact that there is also risk and danger here. Sometimes we create diversions and say, well, uh, I must be seeing it wrong. I must be wrong if what I see. I told a story the other night about some woman that was behaving in a strange place, strange way, and I said to myself, if this was a man, I'd be hightailing it out of here. And... Five minutes later, she attacked me, and I said, okay, that was wise. I did not pay attention to the, to the behavior that I saw because I had another idea about what was true. I had a false view of what was true, and I ignored the experience of this is a dangerous situation. Another thing that happens is a consequence of envy, I read the other day about a, a movie that's coming up about some guy who uh, was actually a very six, relatively successful person, but he began to compare himself to all the people that he went to school with who were financially better off, and it, it destroyed his life. And he was consumed with envy 
because he was comparing himself to something. Not, he wasn't looking at how it was for him, but, gee, shouldn't it be better? And, and we do that, you know. We envy people things. We envy them. Uh, we envy them their children, or we envy them their goods, or we envy them their apparent happiness, or we, and we say, oh, what's wrong with me that I don't do that, that I don't have that? This is denying the truth of, oh, this is how it is. And we, we build a story around how it should be, an ideal of how it should be. Or we assign blame. If it wasn't for this, then everything would be better. We have lots of blame stories. Yeah. Lots of blame stories. And it's, it's interesting to find the mind going to, I bet, you know, so, so yesterday morning there was a door closed in our apartment that neither my husband nor I closed. But each of us suspected the other one had closed it. Why did you close that door? <laughs> it was... It was Trivial. It wasn't a big deal. But both of us were just confused by why the other person had closed the door. And the truth was, it had blown closed in the night. There were these weird winds that came through night before last and just did strange things, wind gusts, and it had closed this door. But watching the mind go to the blame and catching it was useful. And I could say, oh, look at you trying to establish blame. It didn't even matter that the door was closed. Oh, okay. The other thing is we have this idea that this will change because it must. This will change because it must. It must change. This is delusion. This is getting lost in the outcome. So what's important is non-attachment to outcome. Learning how to be truthful and to see clearly, but not to be so sure you know what the outcome of your thoughts, your actions are going to be. Betrayal falls into this category. So I did, I said, I did what I said I would do. I deserve this outcome. I was faithful. You'd, you should be faithful to me because I'm faithful to you. Or we create a story of exceptionalism. I'm going to be different. <laughs> I'm going to be different. I realize that this behavior causes this result for these other people, but for me, it will not have that result. For me, it will be different. Or for you, it will be different. We create stories of exceptionalism. This is an exception. This won't change because, you know, supply the reason. Or we have an idea about the continuity of direction of something. There's an improvement in this thing in our lives. There's an improvement in, uh, 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 let's take, uh, women are not as discriminated against as they should. It's always going to go straight forward. We'll always have a better, better position. It's just going to take time. And then there's a setback. And you say, no, 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 no. That's not really true. It's, 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 always, going, it's always going to be better as I see better. This is being attached to the outcome. When in truth, life contains the unexpected. Life contains the unexpected. We can't control the outcome. Just because I've thought out all the angles and I know if I do this, this is what's going to happen. No, because you don't know everything. None of us knows everything. None of us has control over all the conditions of anything. I think again of the, the people in Florida who all rushed away from the east side of the state only to find that the hurricane was moving up the left side of the state and they all tried to run off to the middle of the state. What a nightmare for people. 
what a nightmare. Life is full of expectations and unexpected things. And then, not all detours are negative. Not all detours are negative. Sometimes a change, an unexpected change, has unbelievable benefits. Things that we never would have anticipated. But because we're sort of programmed to keep out, keep a lookout for what could go wrong, this sort of the built into the DNA of our neurological functions, keep a lookout for what could go wrong. We don't even figure out that sometimes change is really our friend. <laughs> change and impermanence. And that, that a, a blockage here leads to something that we never would have experienced, much to our, our uh, benefit, much to our benefit. Okay, so, yeah, but I want to get to the equanimity stage. That's great. I can spend all my time thinking about, okay, I should be seeing things as clearly as possible. What is the balance between fighting for a good cause and creating suffering by always doing the same thing that doesn't succeed or doesn't appear to succeed? What is the balance? How is seeing life in its wild form actually a help? How does it help? So I go to that line, let's stop making deals for a safe passage. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. Pay attention to the many ways in which we strike bargains. This is a perfectly logical argument. Surely she will see the effect of this logic and will change. Unfortunately, the deal was only struck with yourself. The deal was not struck with the other person that you want to change. Sometimes perfectly logical arguments don't take into account the other person's point of view. Perfectly logical arguments don't take into account past hurts, past damages. They don't take into account how I am in this moment, the conditions that exist in this moment. My suffering, my personal suffering, is a function of my intentions and actions, not what you do. Not what anybody else in your life does. Your suffering, not the pain. Other people can cause you pain. But the suffering from wanting things to be other than they are. The suffering that arises from, this shouldn't be happening to me. That's arising out of your own intentions and actions. It's a basic lesson of karma. This is a place where I've spent a lot of time practicing, thinking about my suffering is the result of my intentions and my actions. And confusing goals with intentions is part of the problem. So, if I think that the way for me to be happy is for you to be a certain way, I lose. The only way for me to be happy is for me to be a certain way. For me to see this is how it is, this is this is useful for me, this is not useful for me. It isn't about making you be a different way. It's not something I can actually do. I can urge you, I can uh, inspire you, I can do lots of things to influence how you are, but my suffering is only a consequence of how I want things to be 
This is a, an idea that takes a lot of reflection to look at clearly. First of all, why assume that the other person is listening to you? That the other person can hear you? Why assume that they can hear you? Okay, so if I have a good point of view, if I, if I can justify and bring reams of data that shows this is true, I will convince you. No, not necessarily. It doesn't mean that doing that is useless. It only means that you have to not be attached to this means this will happen. That, that part of the contract that says, if I, if I have all this data, then you will come to the same conclusion I will. All of this data might influence the other person, but it doesn't mean that you get what you want, that I get what I want. It's a really hard thing to accept, but it is true. It doesn't mean that you never influence people, on the contrary, on the contrary. But it's like saying, I'm a good person, I meditate, good things will happen to me. So anything that isn't good is seen as a betrayal because, you know, I made this contract. I'm a good girl. I'm going to be happy. I think that's what led to my cynicism as a, as a child was I was a really good girl and bad things happened. And somehow I only saw that as having to do with me. Or if I give this up, then this is what will happen. I'll get this in exchange. We do the, these kinds of things all the time. Yeah. Well, if I give this up, then, you know. So if I don't do what I want today, then my husband won't do what he wants tomorrow. This isn't even logical, much, much less going to come true. Unless we have an agreement already between us, Beware of the agreements that only include your own thought processes. Beware of these agreements. Or why assume under different conditions that we actually know what the good outcome is? You know, we, we have a lot of faith in, in what we think is good and true. And we decide that what we see is what is going to be true. But because we don't actually have control over conditions and we don't know everything, what we think is a good outcome may not be a good outcome. This is one of these deals for safe passage that maybe we need to just let go of. Or sometimes we we have this notion that we can vote on the outcome. All of my friends think this is true. This must be true. If we all agree, it must be right. They will always be right, so if they say this is true, then I can believe them and I don't have to examine the truth of that. This is what happens in, uh, in social media influence, is if you've got 3,000 likes and two dislikes, then it must be true. Nope. Not true. Or conversely, that person is wrong. They'll always be wrong. I don't even need to question. If they say it, it's got to be wrong. You know, when uh, I remember in the past, there was a president I disagreed with, really got to the point where I couldn't hear his voice. Literally, he would come, he, he, I couldn't hear his voice. Said I turn off the radio or the television or whatever it was, I couldn't hear it. Didn't matter. That person has got to be wrong because my view of their what they were doing was so wrong. This was in the time of the Vietnam War. I couldn't hear Richard Nixon on, on the on the television. Couldn't hear his voice. It was just it would turn my stomach. It's actually not something I'm proud of. 
because I, I refuse to hear anything this person said. And yet there are actually things that R- Richard Nixon did that were good. They were good, positive. But I couldn't see them because I refused to hear. Because he was a bad guy and I didn't need to hear him. We do this subtly, not so subtly. I chose something that was easy to see, but we do this in our everyday lives all the time. So, impermanence, this section of the poem, impermanence is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. So I recently watched the movie um, Hidden Figures. You all know, familiar with this movie? It, was a, a, it came out last year, and it was about three black women mathematicians at NASA. It's really uh, an impressive movie, and these women were impressive. So this is in spirit of that impermanence uh, means anything is possible. So these three women were all mathematicians. They worked at NASA, and they they had um, they were in a separate section of the of the campus. You know, they were really denigrated people. And what ultimately happened with these women, African Americans is they contributed in such a way that it could not be ignored. And so, let's see, I'm going to give you their names. Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson. So, uh, the, the Dorothy Vaughn became the first, she was in charge of the first programmers for the computer when it was installed at NASA. Katherine Johnson did the original supersonic flight and sonic boom study, and she was the first African-American woman to be promoted to the senior executive service at NASA. When John Glenn made his first circle around the Earth, just before they were going to launch, the computer came up with a different calculation for the orbit than it had the day before, and he said, I want that woman to do those calculations. And if she says it's a go, it's a go. This is how much influence she had on that program. It was huge. And Mary Jackson became the first uh, African-American engineer at NASA and the first woman. These women experienced huge amounts of of discrimination prior to the, the really significant things that they did. Now, Depending on how you look at this, this is either triumphant or sad. It was triumphant for sure. It, you could look at it as sad because discrimination against African Americans and women did not go away as a consequence of these women's actions. There was a point in time. Discrimination did not end. They were change agents and visionaries. They did not accept the status quo. They knew how things were, clearly knew how things were. But they still had dreams for the future. They were part of the dance of life. This is how it is. This is what's possible. I go, I step back, I go, I step back, I try over here. This is what ultimately leads to equanimity and balance. The realization that things do not have to be the way I want them to be, but I should have an idea of what my values lead me toward, and I should not abandon those values in the face of whatever happens, whether it is positive toward my viewpoint or not positive toward my viewpoint. Is it true? Yes. Is it enough? No. There is gain and loss. When things don't last, we're wounded. 
loss is a difficult thing to take on. My favorite shirt develops holes in it. It's irreplaceable. They don't make this shirt anymore. It's irreplaceable. And the truth is, it is irreplaceable. But it is not important. I still remember a shirt I used to have, which went to the rag box decades ago. I'll never find that shirt again, but I keep looking for it. Pretty harmless. But we do that around things that are not so harmless. It's worth keeping in track. Why is this happening to me? Sometimes there's a reason it's happening to you. But it discounts chance, unknown conditions, predisposition, genetic changes. Floods and hurricanes happen. They happen. How do we counter envy? Why, is, why do things so, seem so easy for that person? Mudita, the practice of mudita, sympathetic joy. Can you be happy for someone having something that is enviable? Be happy for them. Wow, isn't that cool that somebody has that? Without feeling deprived yourself. Practice it. Try it. Notice when revenge thoughts arise. This is usually in in response to loss or envy. Oh, I hope you trip and fall. (laughs) Or somebody passes you and scares you on the freeway. I hope there's a cop right around the corner waiting to give you a ticket. I had a friend, uh, I have a friend, who uh, was a very active uh, outdoors person. And she was a, she worked for uh, NRDC. She was an activist lawyer. And uh, I probably said too much about her. Um, Anyway, she developed Parkinson's. And so she's no longer able to do the things she used to do. And what's interesting is she's no longer an activist for the environment. But she's still an activist. And what she's doing is establish mentoring groups for people who are newly diagnosed with Parkinson's. (laughs) Okay, so this is how it is. Now my life is about Parkinson's disease. I have all of these features of Parkinson's. Uh, What can I do that's useful? Because being of use is a value that she holds. And I'm sure there are days when she's very discouraged. But she's very alive and very engaged in the dance of life. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. What does this mean? The no hope, what cannot be lost, is not depending on my view of how things are or my view of how things should be. Not being attached to what is not yet true, may never be true, not being attached to how things used to be, perhaps not the way we remember them. When we see this gives rise to suffering, this holding on to this view, when we see that it is the holding on to the view that is causing the suffering, can we lessen that holding? Can we ease that holding? Can we hold it more softly and see that this eases the suffering as well? 
Ah, that didn't happen. Okay. What we're left with is resilience. The resilience that says, okay, that didn't work, and I am still here. The resilience that sees things as they are, this is how it is, the truth of it, allowing it to be true, and saying, okay, and I am still here, and this is what I see. It allows us to rise again with our best intentions. Okay, that didn't go the way I thought it would. We see the wisdom of change. We understand becoming. This is becoming. We understand the falling away of the exhausted. And what we're left with is a kind of faith and confidence that we can withstand change. We can withstand things not being the way they are. In this moment, okay, it's not the way I wanted, and I am still here. We can see resilience and opening to the moment as a dance. A dance. Here, here, back. Joan Halifax is a, a Buddhist a Zen Buddhist teacher, and she's, um, she's in Santa Fe. She does a, a lot of work around death and dying, and one of her core messages is that it's necessary to develop a strong back and a soft front. She calls this the relationship between equanimity and compassion. Strong back is equanimity and your capacity to really uphold yourself. Soft front is opening to things as they are. Strong back, soft front. Like any good dance, in any moment, it's never too late to begin again. Thank you. So, any comments? Wishes, I think, Randy. <clears throat> well, I don't. I hope that's not inappropriate. I'm inclined to make a personal, though not political, comment about Richard Nixon. Okay. Okay, and um, I think he was a man who cultivated a very cool and calm and collected exterior when inside he was this festering pot of anxiety, anger, and inner rage, which he carefully had really gone to great lengths to be able to conceal. And I suspect that one of the things that is disturbing about his voice is that some people can detect that this is a calm exterior, unconsciously detect that this is a calm exterior covering over a boiling cauldron. And that may be part of what bothered you about his voice, that you on some unconscious level detected that. Well, of course, that's possible. Okay. Uh, certainly my opinion at the time was the man is a liar, yes. which is consistent with that. You know, he could, he could say things that just were patently not true. Yes. <laughs> But I think he was lying about himself. I yes. think he was lying about his own psychic disposition just as much as he was lying about political realities. I think that, that may be part of what was just distressing. Well, that's true of all of us. How we are is yes, how we are. that may be part of why it's distressing because he's a hyper example of something that perhaps we all do. <laughs> Well, and this is this is true. You know how we are is how we are. Are we uh, our ability to see clearly allows us to be clear in the world. The extent to which we lie to ourselves, we are also presenting a false front to the world. 
to what we encounter? How can this have a good outcome? I may want everyone to love me, but if I am showing up, seeing things clearly, seeing my own place clearly, not everyone is going to like me. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to not be right sometimes. Hard to believe, right? Yeah, I'm often wrong. (laughs) But certainly not deliberately. This is is part of what practice does, is it allows us to show up and show up and show up. And each time we show up, we are better able to see clearly, this is how things are. This is how things are. Oh, I get it. Oh, this, oh, I didn't see that before. I'm so busy trying to convince you I'm not listening to you. Oh. Oh. Ouch. I adopted a practice at one time um, of not speaking up in a group because I recognized that I tended to uh, be very vocal in groups. And I I had this feeling I had to influence groups all the time. And eventually, I discovered that when I didn't do that, I didn't always get to say what I wanted to say. (laughs) I didn't always get to influence the group and realized my attachment to influencing the group. Wow, what a burden that was. What a burden. Also did not leave room for other people to influence the group. Oh, that's interesting. Wonder how often I do that, not allow other people to be who they are, to contribute what they can contribute. Oh, it was a very interesting period of my life when that was my primary practice. Oh. It's never too late to begin again. Never too late to begin again. So, I wish for each of you clear seeing and an easy dance in the world. And when it isn't easy, know that it will change. Thank you.